0: The House and Senate will both return today and stay in session through Thursday. Last week in the House, they were in recess, no action. This week in the House, they'll have to return today with the first vote set for 6.30 p.m. At that time, the House is scheduled to take up five bills under suspension of the rules. On Tuesday, the House is scheduled to take up H.R. 6865, the Don Young Coast Guard Authorization Act of 2022, as amended and H.R. 2954, the Securing a Strong Retirement Act of 2022, also as amended. On Wednesday, the House is scheduled to take up another nine bills under suspension of the rules, and on Thursday, the House will likely take up H.R. 3617, the Moore Act, and then they'll be done. Last week in the Senate, they returned to work on Monday and they voted to invoke cloture on the motion to proceed to H.R. 4521. That's the China competitiveness bill. On Tuesday, the Senate voted to confirm Ruth Bermudez Montenegro to be a U.S. District Judge for the Southern District of California, and Victoria Marie Calvert to be a U.S. District Judge for the Northern District of Georgia. On Wednesday, the Senate voted to proceed to consideration of H.R. 4521, the China Competitiveness Bill. Then the Senate voted to confirm the following people to the following positions. Julie Rebecca Rubin to be a U.S. District Judge for the District of Maryland. Hector Gonzalez to be a U.S. District Judge for the Eastern District of New York, John H. Chun to be a U.S. District Judge for the Western District of Washington, Christina D. Silva to be a U.S. District Judge for the District of Nevada, Anne Rachel Trom to be a U.S. District Judge for the District of Nevada, and Allison J. Nathan to be a U.S. Circuit Judge for the Second Circuit Court of Appeals. In addition, by voice vote, the Senate also confirmed Fiona Whelan Prime to be a member of the National Council on the Arts, and Beverly Gage to be a member of the National Council on the Humanities. On Thursday, the Senate voted to confirm Andrew M. Luger to be a U.S. attorney for the District of Minnesota, and then they were done. This week in the Senate, they'll come back today with the first vote set for 5.30 p.m. At that time, the Senate will proceed to two roll call votes. First up will be a vote on a motion to invoke cloture on the Schumer Substitute Amendment numbered 5002 that's the Senate-passed U.S. Competitiveness Act amendment, to calendar 282, that's H.R. 4521, the China Competitiveness Bill. The second will be a vote on passage of that bill as amended, if amended. In other words, Majority Leader Schumer has scheduled two votes on his latest amended version of the China Competitiveness Bill, with hopes that he can invoke cloture on it and then vote on final passage on it so he can finally send this bill to conference with the House. Now to COVID mask mandates, Chapter 37. On Wednesday, 10 CEOs of American passenger and cargo airlines released a letter to the Biden administration calling on the administration to lift its remaining mask mandates and COVID testing requirements for all air travelers. The current mask mandate is scheduled to expire on April the 18th. Signatories to the letter included the CEOs of Delta Airlines, American Airlines, United Airlines, and Southwest Airlines. More on COVID funding. With the House in recess last week, House Democrats have made no progress in figuring out how to pay for the $22.5 billion the White House wants or the $45 billion that Speaker Pelosi wants in new COVID funding. Stay tuned. We're about to hear lots about a new Omicron variant that will give Team COVID an excuse to fight to hold their breath until they turn blue over the need for more funding. So we're not done with this fight just yet. Now to the Breyer replacement search. On Monday of last week, the Senate Judiciary Committee began its confirmation hearing for Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson, President Biden's nominee to replace Justice Stephen Breyer on the Supreme Court. The day was spent with all 22 members of the committee offering their opening statements, followed by Judge Jackson's opening statement. On Tuesday, the questioning of Judge Jackson and the fireworks began. Late on Tuesday, Tennessee Republican Senator Marsha Blackburn asked, can you provide a definition for the word woman? Jackson replied, can I provide a definition? No. Blackburn said, yeah. Jackson said, I can't. Blackburn said, you can't? Jackson replied, Not in this context, I'm not a biologist. Is it possible she doesn't know what a woman is? Possible, I guess, but highly unlikely. What I find much more likely is the probability that she knows perfectly well what a woman is, but given the expectations placed on her by the woke left, she didn't want to acknowledge that there is even such a being as a woman. Because she didn't want to stir up a hornet's nest on the left, which not only believes there should be no differences between men and women, but there are no differences between men and women. Four years and two Supreme Court nominees ago, the left's mantra was believe all women. Now the left's mantra is what is a woman? As for serious news coming out of the hearing, the most significant news I heard was Judge Jackson's response to a question from Texas Republican Senator Ted Cruz, who asked her if she would recuse herself from a case about affirmative action at Harvard University, given she is a twice graduate from Harvard who sits on the Harvard Board of Overseers. She said she would recuse herself from the case if she were to be confirmed to the Supreme Court. I don't expect anything was changed by the confirmation hearings. Judge Jackson didn't say anything that would cause a Democrat senator to decide against voting to confirm her. And I didn't hear her say anything to give a Republican senator a reason to vote for her. Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Dick Durbin of Illinois announced that on March 28 that's today, he'll try to hold a vote in the committee to forward the nomination to the floor. But there's a committee rule that allows anybody to ask that such a vote be held over for a week. And Republicans are expected to exercise that standard delay. So, we expect the committee vote will take place on April 4th, that is one week from today. That would set up a floor vote by the end of next week so they can vote to confirm her before they leave town for a two week Easter recess. Now, to the Biden billionaire minimum tax. On Monday, that is today, the Biden White House will transmit to Capitol Hill President Biden's budget request for fiscal year 2023. Ahead of time on Saturday, White House staff decided to leak one of the one of the budget's major new proposals to wit, a minimum tax to be imposed on very wealthy American families, which the Biden White House is referring to as the billionaire minimum income tax. The Washington Post says it will apply to the richest 700 Americans, while The Wall Street Journal says it would affect fewer than 20,000 households the tax would be applied to households worth at least $100 million and is an attempt to ensure that the very wealthiest pay at least 20% in tax on their income, and, and this is the key, on the rising value of their assets. As anyone who owns a house or a piece of stock knows, our tax system does not require us to pay taxes on the rising value of our assets until that rising value is actually realized. That is, when the asset is sold and a capital gain is realized. We pay taxes on the value of that capital gain, but we don't pay taxes until we sell the asset. The Biden administration thinks it has figured out a way to make us pay taxes on the rising value of the assets we hold before we actually sell the assets and realize those capital gains. According to the White House document, the White House anticipates that the new tax would generate roughly $360 billion in revenue over the next 10 years. Constitution makes no provision for taxing accumulated wealth. And the founders didn't think it was necessary to tax income. So when the federal government decided it wanted to tax income, it had to pass and ratify an amendment to the Constitution to do that legally. The 16th Amendment was passed by the Congress in 1909 and ratified by the final state in 1913. But as I said, there's no provision for taxing wealth. And to my mind, this certainly looks like an attempt to do just that. Stay tuned. More on Hunter Biden's emails, follow up to last week's breaking news that the New York Times now agrees that the emails found on Hunter Biden's laptop were in fact real. The Federalist points out that one of the 50, that one of the 51 so-called experts from the national security and intelligence community that signed that letter back in October 2020 saying the entire Hunter Biden laptop story had, quote, All the classic earmarks of a Russian information operation, unquote, is David Buckley, who formerly served as the inspector general of the Central Intelligence Agency. His current gig is now leading House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's probe of the Capitol, the Capitol riot, as the committee's staff director. Said Congressman Jim Banks, who you'll recall was kicked off the J6 committee when House Republican Leader Kevin McCarthy first named him to serve on that body. "Quote: The laptop lie did enormous damage to the credibility of ex-intelligence officials, just like the J6 witch hunt has hurt the credibility of congressional investigations." Speaker Pelosi blocked me from serving on the committee because of quote, ridiculous, unquote, statements I made. Meanwhile, the committee's staff director intentionally lied to the public to keep President Trump out of the White House, end quote. Trump sues Clinton. On Thursday of last week, Donald Trump filed a 108-page lawsuit suing Hillary Clinton, former FBI director James Comey, Clinton's campaign, various campaign aides, the Democratic National Committee, and dozens of other Democrats, alleging that they, quote, maliciously conspired, unquote, to falsely charge that he colluded with what he called a hostile foreign sovereignty. The lawsuit alleges racketeering, a a conspiracy to commit injurious falsehood, obstruction of justice, and theft of trade secrets and seeks compensatory and punitive damages of more than $72 million, saying Trump's own known expenses to date have been in excess of $24 million. The lawsuit was assigned to U.S. District Judge Donald Middlebrooks, who was appointed to the bench by former President Bill Clinton. Before you ask how a man appointed by Bill Clinton can rule on a lawsuit where Hillary Clinton is one of the litigants that did not stop him from rolling on and tossing out a 2015 racketeering lawsuit filed against Hillary Clinton over her use of a private email account and server while she was serving as Secretary of State. More on the Iran nuclear deal. We're still waiting to hear that the Biden administration has signed a deal with Iran and the other signatories of the 2015 Joint Plan of Comprehensive Action, I'm sorry, that's the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action. The only news on this front last week was that as Democrat senators learn more about what the Biden administration appears to be willing to give away in order to get Iran's signature on the document, they are becoming increasingly uncomfortable with the prospect of a revived deal. And now to Russia and Ukraine. On Thursday, the Russian invasion of Ukraine entered its second month, and Western news outlets are reporting over the weekend The Russian military forces in Ukraine appear to be moving toward a new strategy, giving up on a plan to conquer the entirety of the country and instead focusing on consolidating gains in the eastern regions of the nation. On Wednesday of last week, President Biden flew to Brussels to meet with NATO and European Council leaders. On Friday, he traveled to Poland, where he met with elements of the 82nd Airborne Division, stationed less than 100 miles from the Ukrainian border. On Saturday, he delivered an address in Poland that was overshadowed by a nine-word ad-libbed final line. For God's sake, he said, this man cannot remain in power. As the Washington Post reported, quote, it was a remarkable statement that would reverse stated U.S. policy, directly countering claims from senior administration officials, including Secretary of State Antony Blinken, who have said regime change is not on the table. It went further than even US presidents during the Cold War and immediately reverberated around the world as world leaders, diplomats and foreign policy experts sought to determine what Biden said, what it meant and if he didn't mean it, why he said it, end quote. Within moments, the White House had walked back the statement, quote, the president's point was that Putin cannot be allowed to exercise power over his neighbors of the region. He was not discussing Putin's power in Russia or regime change, unquote, said an unnamed White House official. Further, wrote the Post, White House officials, quote, did concede it was just the latest example of Biden's penchant for stumbling off message. And like many of his unintended comments, they came at the end of his speech as he ad-libbed and veered from the carefully crafted text on the teleprompter, end quote. This followed a similar Biden gaffe earlier in the week. At one point during a press conference after a session with NATO leaders, when asked how the US and its allies would respond to use of chemical weapons by Russia, Biden said, quote, we would respond. We would respond if he uses it. The nature of the response would depend on the nature of the use, unquote. In other words, whether the US decides to go to war is dependent on the actions of a foreign dictator. That's not a good place to be, but wait, it got worse. Biden was then asked, quote, and to clarify on chemical weapons, could if chemical weapons were used in Ukraine, would that trigger a military response from NATO? And Biden responded, quote, it would it would trigger a response in kind, whether or not you're asking whether NATO would cross. We'd make that decision at the time, unquote. The United States would respond in kind to the use of chemical weapons. We've signed treaties outlawing the use of chemical weapons, and Biden knows that. Responding in kind would put us in violation of the international law. Perhaps it's time for the president to rely on written statements and avoid unscripted comments. And that's our Washington report for this week.